This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'm really happy to be talking about a biblical perspective on giving money. This is the fifth in the series on money, and I think we've got one more episode ahead of us to wrap this up for now. I'd like to say a few things before I discuss giving money. First is, once again, to give credit to David Pawson, a British Bible teacher who has influenced me quite a bit on this subject. And another is to remind you that the purpose of these talks, from my perspective, is to help you be a disciple of Jesus, to help you do what he says. There is a very great danger to studying Scripture and seeing God's perspective on something, but not actually applying it to our lives, not submitting. If he is the Lord, then we should do what he says, because he knows what's best, and he's the one who has authority and knowledge, and he also promises to give us the strength to be obedient. That's how we show our love for him, by surrendering our lives for him and following his ways, not our own ways. So, the purpose of this teaching, all of it, is discipleship. Help us to grow closer to the Lord, uh, to have the mind of God. In previous episodes, I did an introduction on this topic and discussed different perspectives on money, that money is evil or that money is good, or how a consumerist society puts pressure on people regarding money, or a cash-poor society may pressure people regarding money. The Bible has a lot to say about these four aspects of money that I've been talking about. Getting money, having money, spending money, and now giving money. I talked through various ways of getting money. Boy, I tell you, the world, especially the Western cultures, the capitalist societies. I don't know that I can say Western so much because some Eastern countries around the world have also started adopting capitalism, the flow of money, and the desire to have money and make money and to put our hope in money. When I discussed having money, I talked about the health and wealth gospel and the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament regarding rewards and punishments, blessings and curses. I discussed how all through the New Testament, there is a real warning about the danger of having riches and the actual blessing of being poor. And that is exactly the opposite of the way the world thinks about these things. I discussed how going after money can turn into a religion, how you can worship money, how money can become a god. And I'll talk about that a little bit more here as we get into talking about giving Last time I talked about spending money, and I ended with the thought that we need to spend our money in order to store up treasures in heaven, to prepare for the future life. I think I probably left out one thing that I'd like to say here is that the most important thing is that we spend our money according to the will of God. And there may be times when he calls us to spend our money in a way that may appear foolish, or other people may look at that action and ascribe to that spending of money the wrong motivations. So sometimes we have to be willing to appear foolish as we are obedient to what God says. Well, one example that comes to mind is a lot of my work is spent meeting with people. 
I sit down across the table with people and we talk about things and I help people, particularly ministers who are having some difficulties in different parts of their work. And God has put it on my heart that it's a very high value to physically be together. Uh, Having calls on the internet or phone calls or things like that, that's useful and helpful, sometimes unavoidable or necessary. But generally, I'm willing to spend the money to buy the fuel or to pay for the airplane ticket to physically be in the same place with people. I know a ministry that was based in Spain, I think, that had rehabilitation centers all over the world on several continents. And the leadership of that ministry would talk to each other on the phone almost all the time. So one might be in South America, one might be here in Russia. And if they had a question, they'd just call each other. And I thought, wow, that's got to be so expensive, these international phone calls, cell phones when you're out in the forest in Russia and you're calling somebody down in South America or in Africa. But they understood that unity of the leadership was a higher priority than saving that money and finding some cheaper way to communicate. So the money was a lower priority than the relationships and the agreement that the leadership needed to have when they ran into issues. From the world's perspective, that may seem silly. Like, well, just send an email and wait for an answer tomorrow. But in the kingdom, if something's going on, you need to talk, you need to communicate, go ahead and spend that money. Spend the money out of obedience to the Lord. So today we come to giving money. And a little bit later in the talk, I will address something that was sent to me by one of the listeners. One listener wrote and asked if I would talk about giving money in the context of how a person in a wealthy society should think about giving. And she asked that question several months ago, and I intended to wait to answer that question until we got to this talk. So I'm going to address that and a lot more on giving money. The first thing that I'd like to point out is that the Ten Commandments is a circle. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We often think of the Ten Commandments as being a line from one through ten. But the Ten Commandments actually loops around on itself. (laughs) What is the first commandment? Have no other gods besides Jehovah. And what is the Tenth Commandment? Do not covet. And in Colossians chapter 3, we are told that covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is having another God. And you see how that loops around to the first commandment? We are to have no other gods, and if we covet, then we are worshiping mammon. We're worshiping wealth. And one way to think about the Ten Commandments is to liken it to a necklace that has pearls on it, a necklace with ten pearls. And if you break that necklace at any point, the necklace is broken. You have broken that circle, that chain. You've broken the law. And some people tend to think, well, I don't keep all ten commandments, but I keep six or seven pretty well. (laughs) And that's good enough, isn't it? No, not according to the Lord. If you break any law, you've broken the law. And we say that in English, certainly in America. If you're caught speeding, going over the speed limit, somebody would say, well, you broke the law. We don't say you broke a law. You couldn't defend yourself and say, well, I know I was speeding too quickly, but I kept all the other laws, 
So that should be okay. That should count for something. No, if you break this circle, then you've broken them all. And one reason the law was given is to show us that we need a Savior, because we can't keep that law. And that's what all the early disciples learned. (laughs) That's why they called it good news. It's the gospel. It's really good news that we're not caught in this system of having to keep the law perfectly. If you're interested to hear more about that, you can go back and listen to my talk about Abram and faith and the law. So, covetousness is idolatry. And I mentioned earlier that the opposite of covetousness is contentment. And that's something that we should aim for, is being content. I also talked about the scripture that says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that happens when money becomes an end that you focus on instead of a means to accomplish the will of God. Money is a terrible master, but it's a very good servant. So we have these issues going on in the human heart, covetousness, the love of money, and on the other hand, we have contentment. And as I mentioned, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great profit, it's great gain. Now, how can you get money and have money and spend money, but not allow the money to make you covetous, to ruin your relationship with God? And the answer to that question is give. Give all you can. Giving is so important in the kingdom. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul quotes something that Jesus said, and this is the only place, I think, in the scriptures where we receive uh, something that Jesus said, but it's not recorded in the gospel accounts. So as he was on earth, he said something that Paul relates as he's talking to the Ephesian elders. Well, let's go take a look at that. That's in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 32. As I mentioned, this is when Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian leadership as he's heading off. And I'll read here what Paul said just before they knelt and prayed, starting in verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's take a look at what Paul is saying here. What he's saying ends up with what I'm focusing on. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And his argument is, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. And he said that he worked hard so that he could supply for his own needs and the needs of his companions. And he wanted to show them, the Ephesian elders, the Ephesian church. You remember he was a tent maker there in Ephesus. And he worked with Aquila and Priscilla. And he said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And why? Because we remember what the Lord himself said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. There is a lesson for you, and that is a biblical perspective on money. The purposes for getting money so that we can supply for our own needs and then help others, not be a burden on anyone. And Paul quotes Jesus, and he says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
I tend to add the word always in that scripture. It is always better to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive, and it's always the case. There have been times when I had very, very little money in the bank. As a matter of fact, at one point, uh, we had just enough in our ministry account to get through one more month. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I guess I'll go to America and get a job at a shop or something like that. And so I've had times with plenty of money available, and I've had times where there was very, very little. For instance, that time where I couldn't see beyond just a few weeks how financially we were going to survive. And I've learned that it is always better to give than to receive. When we have a lot, it is better to give than to receive. And when we have a little, it is better to give than to receive. Amen? If you've got a lot in your bank accounts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you've got very little or nothing in your bank accounts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mentioned last time that the kingdom of God is not about buying and selling. It's about giving and receiving. Now, God himself is generous. We're talking about a biblical perspective on giving. And God is so generous that there is a word for his generosity, and that is grace. Grace has been defined as unmerited favor when we receive what we don't deserve, mercy, grace. It's also a power, and God is so generous that he gives grace. And because God is generous, God's people are to be generous. That's a mark of the people of God. The more that we know God and the more that we love him, the more generous we'll be because his character is generous. He's a giving God. David Pawson shares a very good picture of what this is all about. The Sea of Galilee is a great example of receiving and giving. The Sea of Galilee has water that flows into it and water that flows out of it. And the Sea of Galilee is healthy, and it supports life. There's water coming in and water going out, and the water is fresh and healthy and good. And the Dead Sea has water flowing in, but nothing flowing out. And that sea is dead. It doesn't support life. There's no flow. So if a man receives and gives, he'll be healthy. If you receive and then give... You'll be very healthy spiritually. But a person who receives and doesn't give, that person is going to die, spiritually die, just wither up and will not be able to support life. Boy, we've seen this. I imagine you've seen examples of this. People who have a lot available to them, but they don't give. They're not free with it. They're not generous with it. And then the heart can become hard, tough, calloused. Again, the kingdom of God is about receiving and giving. And we're told not to store up treasures for ourselves. There's a difference between saving money, which we can save for the future so that we're not a burden to anyone. There's a difference between saving and hoarding, just having so much and not wanting to let it go, building bigger barns. I've often thought in the United States how people rent storage sheds 
They have so much stuff that they put it in a storage shed and then they don't even see it. Well, that could be given, honestly. Uh, It's good to give. It's better to give than to receive. Saving shows foresight. If you save, it shows that you're thinking ahead. It shows self-denial. It shows wisdom. But hoarding is based on fear and selfishness. And we need to be generous people. We give freely. And if we do well at giving, well, then the getting is going to take care of itself. Jesus said it, well, in different words. (laughs) In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, that will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use it will be measured to you. If we do well at giving, then we're going to receive. We're going to get it too. And the Lord says, if we give, then it will be given to us. And in the way that we give, well, that's the way we're going to receive. So if we give generously, lavishly, freely, then God promises that he will do the same for us. Now, I will say, that most people would apply this to cash, to money. But I have found that if I give of my life, of my time, like my energy, then God gives me that much more back. I like a really large amount pressed down and shaken and overflowing. Amen? So this applies to money. However, if we give money generously, what we receive back may not be money There may be eternal blessings that come to us that are so much more valuable than cash. And God promises, if we give freely, then in the same way we're going to receive freely. Well, he says in another way, in the other direction, freely you have been given, so freely give. Amen. Christianity is a religion of giving. And that is based on Christ himself, who was so rich that he became poor. Amen. That is the character of God, is to give lavishly and freely, fearlessly. We'll talk about how to give here in just a little bit, the attitudes that we should have as we give. Pawson says something that's pretty good. I'll see if it works here. He said, Christianity is a personal religion and a purse and all religion. (laughs) I like it. Christianity is both personal and purse and all. Well, now I come to a question that a listener asked uh, several months ago. I mentioned it earlier. How should people who are in a rich culture think about giving? This listener and her husband have found themselves in a situation where they had more money coming in than they ever thought that they really would, and they want to do well at giving, and yet they want to be good stewards as well. How do we think about giving in this rich culture? And I have some ideas that came to mind as I prayed about this. I was talking to a friend of mine many years ago. He was very high up in the United States Navy, and he worked at the White House in Washington, D.C. for several years. And he knows many people that are involved in the government and in industry. And he said that he knows people who have more money than they know what to do with. And that struck me as being hard to imagine, but it is actually true. Over the years I've seen there are folks, they have this money coming in, they didn't expect to have it come in, 
And now they've got more than they really know what to do with. And there can be a sort of a creep that happens. This is a little side note. I'll come back to giving in a second. But one of the elders at my church many years ago in Texas worked as a home builder for very wealthy people in Austin, Texas. And he told me about a conversation he had with a couple who were going to build a house. And since he was the project manager for these big houses, one of the first meetings is to sit and talk with the people. How much do you want to spend? Where's the house going to be? What are you thinking? So they can get some idea of the budget on the house. Now, at the time, there were people in Austin called Dellionaires, instead of millionaires, because Dell Computers is based in Austin. And a lot of people had made a lot of money on the computer industry. And so he met with this couple. They're a Christian couple, I think. Um, one of them, or maybe both of them, were Bible teachers and Sunday school teachers. And so he sat down and he met with this couple and he said, okay, we just want to talk about the general idea of how much you want to spend on a house. And this couple said, we want to spend $10 million on a house because anybody can live in a $10 million house. They thought that a $10 million house was on the low end because many of their friends were building houses for $30 million. And when he told me that, I was obviously shocked, as many of you are, that there can be this creep in our expectations as we get more money and it builds up and we don't get rid of it, we don't give it away, we're not free with it. After a while, we can begin to think that way. Now, in contrast to that story, I want to tell a story about a man that I knew in Austin. He passed away a few years ago. He was worth millions of dollars. He was an inventor, had a lot of patents on very interesting electronic gear. And he lived in a little two-bedroom house, drove an old, beat-up, sunburnt truck, and you would never know that he was worth millions of dollars. As a matter of fact, he was the man, him and his wife, who paid for my first trip to Russia. They were praying. They felt deep in their hearts that God wanted me to go to Russia. And they said to me, Mike, we feel like God wants you to go there and we'll pay for your trip to go to Russia. Well, look at their generous hearts. They're discerning the will of God and they're giving money freely. And I thought at the time that I was just going to get a free two-week trip to Russia that would be very interesting. And yet it was life-changing. And it was because of their ability to discern the will of God and their freedom with their finances to do the will of God. Amen? So, how do people in a rich culture think about giving? There's questions that come up there. Who do you trust? Where do you give? So, I have a few thoughts here uh, for people who maybe have a little bit more money than they know what to do with. The first thing that I would say, and this is Mike Cantrell speaking, is to follow the relationships. God has given you relationships. And for me personally, I've found that discerning the living stones that God has set me among is the way for the blessings of God to flow. So follow relationships. Look and see who are the people that you know that God has set with you spiritually and then see if your giving can flow through those relationships. I would contrast that with the idea of saying, well, I want to give to a certain cause and I'll find some charity that does that kind of work. But if you don't have a relationship there, take the time to build a relationship. 
I'd also say for people that have more money than they know what to do with, give until it hurts. It's really easy for us to say, well, I've got this much money. Well, I can give, you know, half of it and that's not going to really hurt me very much. I'd say follow relationships and give until it hurts. Really give freely. Love God more than you want to protect your stuff. And as I said earlier, be willing to appear foolish. Give generously. Also, and I've run into this, wealthy people in the USA giving us money. They would give money and they have strings attached, is the phrase that we use in the United States. They give money, but then they want to keep control of the money once they've given it to us. And that's a danger. Actually, I think it's not a gift. If I give somebody a gift and then I tell them how they should use that gift and that they ask permission of me before they use the gift, well, it's not actually a gift. It's not theirs. I'm still controlling it. I'm still acting as the owner of it. And I'm assuming that they are my agent. But we need to give freely. And when we give something, we don't try to control it. We don't continue to consider ourselves as the owner. Give without any strings attached. That's really important. Wealthy people want to control what they have. And a gift means surrendering control. Along that line, I'd say to wealthy people who have more money than they know what to do with, is trust the locals. If you're in the United States and you're supporting a ministry of some sort overseas, Trust the people that are on the ground running that ministry. Don't assume that you know how best to use that money. Now, in our ministry, we have a fund called Where Most Needed. Most of the donations through our ministry are designated. People will say, we want to give to this ministry in this country. And they give freely, but we put it into that account, and it'll be used by the locals in that country. But we also receive donations that are not designated. And I love having that available, because there are times when a real need arises. And it's good to have money in this little fund called Where Most Needed. So, if you are supporting a ministry overseas, let's say a school or an orphanage, You can say it's for this orphanage, but it's for where most needed. You leaders overseas use this where you think it is most needed. That's a great way to give freely without having any strings attached. So those are my thoughts about how to think about giving if you find yourself with more money in your pocket than you know what to do with, and you want to give according to the will of God. Follow relationships. Love God more than trying to protect your stuff. Be willing to be foolish give very generously, don't have any strings attached, and trust the locals. Trust the people that are on the ground. So, now, we will look at, biblically, how to give. We know that God is generous, and as we walk with God, we will become more generous because we're going to be more like him as we go deeper into him and mature more. So, scripturally, what is a biblical perspective on how to give? And the first one is, found in 2 Corinthians, cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we give cheerfully, gladly. A family gave a little boy a dime, a little coin, and a penny that's worth one-tenth of that to put into the donation plate at church. 
and they said to him that he could put either one of these coins into the collection plate at the church, either the dime or the penny, the one that's worth more or the one that's worth less. And they wanted to see what he would do. And he put in the penny, the one that was of lesser value. He dropped it in to the offering, and his parents asked him why. And he said, well, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and I was much more cheerful giving that penny. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're not talking about that kind of cheerful, the selfish cheerfulness that comes from greed and holding things tightly. To give cheerfully in the scriptures means to give willingly, happily, eagerly, gladly, with happiness. God loves it when we give that way. In the Old Testament, there is what's called the free will offering. And so we see, even in the Old Testament writings, that God wants us to give freely, just to give, not to get anything back, but to give cheerfully and freely, eagerly, happily. Amen. Number two, we give generously. However, it's not the size of the gift that is so important to God. It is the sacrifice that is involved in the giving of the gift. Remember the story about the widow who gave just a tiny little amount of money. It's called the widow's might, Mark chapter 12. If you remember that story, Jesus set himself where he could see people making donations. You think God doesn't see the donations that you give at church? Well, in this story, Jesus set himself right down where he could look and see who was giving money. And this widow came up, And it says that she gave all that she had. And Jesus said that was a greater gift than the people who gave more money, but they didn't give all they had. From God's perspective, it's not what it buys, it's what it costs. That's a biblical perspective on giving. It is not the size of the gift, it's the sacrifice that's involved. If we give when it hurts... We are putting our faith in God and not in the money. And it's always better to give than to receive. Now, I also want to point out right now that while we're all called to give, there is a spiritual gift of giving, of meeting the needs of others. We find that in Romans chapter 12. Let me take a look at that. I think we'll start, let's start in verse 4. And if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I talk about spiritual gifts. And often we go to the section of 1 Corinthians that talks about spiritual gifts. And here in Romans, Paul also talks about spiritual gifts. And he mentions this gift of helping others. And let's read the context here, starting in verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him do it in proportion with his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So two things here apply to our talk about giving. Meeting the needs of others, that is a spiritual gift that stands out from other gifts that other people have. 
and this gift is to be exercised with generosity. And if it is showing mercy to other people, and that'll include sometimes giving money to them, it should be done cheerfully. So what does this gift of meeting the needs of others look like, this spiritual gift of giving? And some of you may have this. Actually, I'm quite sure that some of you listening have this gift, but you're not really aware that it is a particular spiritual gift that God has given you for the benefit of the body, to glorify Jesus, so that you can be that particular member of his body that meets needs in this way. And one marker of this gift, I think it might apply almost universally, but in my experience, one marker of having this gift is if you love to give in secret. If you love to give gifts secretly, well then, that may be a marker that you have this special gift, this spiritual gift from God that you just love to meet the needs of other people. And my encouragement to you is, if that is your spiritual gift from God, walk in it and give generously. Amen. If he has given you that gift, then he's going to provide what you need as you give. And is it possible to give too much? Well, in the manner that you give, you're going to receive back. Give until it hurts. Give generously. Give freely. Give cheerfully. Give secretly. Which brings me to the next point, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Well, have you ever thought about how do you do that? It's an interesting idea, but how do you not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and you don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing? Well, one way is just don't keep reminding yourself and others about it. Give, forget it, and move on. Give secretly. Don't do it so that other people will look at you and think highly of you. I know a person that serves in the church. They go in and they sweep up and they clean, and then they tell everybody that they swept up and they were cleaning. <laughs> and my counsel to that person is, well, don't tell people. Just serve secretly. Serve in a way that you don't glorify yourself. And when we give money, we should definitely be that way, that we don't give to get praise from human beings, because if we do, that's all we're going to get. We will have received our reward here on earth. So God wants us to give secretly. Now we come to number four. God wants us to give proportionately. As the Lord has prospered us, we give a portion. This brings us to this question of tithing, which I have addressed in previous talks about the covenants. Are Christians under the Mosaic law? And how does the Mosaic Law relate to the New Covenant? And I've said there, I won't go into it very deeply here, but a Christian is not under this law of tithing. A Christian is to give what we feel is right in the right proportion to what we have. So tithing, people think of it as 10%, but actually there were a lot of different gifts that were commanded in the law, and Jews paid about 25% when you add up all of those different gifts as well as a seventh of his time, right? The Sabbath. And those were compulsory. Jews were expected, they were commanded to do so. But we're not under that law. And I say be suspicious of a church that tells you that you must pay 10% or you're under God's curse. And some people do say that. But under the new covenant, it's our decision to give freely, cheerfully. It's our responsibility to decide how much to give. 
And I've mentioned it earlier, rather than 10% belonging to the Lord, 100% belongs to him. And I've heard stories of very wealthy people who give 90% of their income and they live off of 10%. A good way to talk about this is to say that a tithe is a good floor, but it's not the ceiling. Decide in advance to give a proportion and 10% is a good starting point. That's how people can express their faith and trust in God, by giving a set percentage every week. And they say the first that we give, this 10% goes to the Lord, and we're trusting him that he's going to be faithful and keep his promises. Giving is to be done cheerfully, not as an obligation, and not for the purpose of public recognition. The right amount that you give may be more or less than 10%, depending on your circumstances. And there are references to that in Matthew chapter 19, Luke 18, 1 John chapter 3. Generous giving is an acknowledgement that everything we have is a gift from God, and it is to be used in His service. Those references are in Luke 12, Acts chapter 20, 1 Timothy chapter 6, James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 4. Everything that we have, everything that you have is a gift from God. And everything that you and I have is to be used in his service. Even the breath you take is a gift from God. Your mind is a gift from God. The things that you own are gifts from God. The money that you have, the gifts that you have, it's all from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. It's not a matter of saying, well, I'm just going to give 10% and I've done my part and I don't have to surrender the rest of my life to the Lord. That's one of the dangers with tithing is to say, I've fulfilled my obligations and now I can go on with my life. And under the new covenant, we are to give everything a living sacrifice. Another way that we're to give is regularly. There are references in the scriptures to Christians gathering and putting together their donations We should give regularly, not when we're moved by a speaker. Somebody makes an appeal and then we say, okay, I'm going to give now. Not when we're moved emotionally by some appeal, but we should give regularly. And it's really good to bring an offering on a weekly basis. Scripturally, we're also called to give widely. We give to the church. So think, how much money does it cost for your church to have its meetings? The church will serve you for one day a week. How much does that cost? It costs money to pay for electricity, sound systems if you have one, uh, salaries for the staff. You give to the church and support the church and the work of the church. I've talked about that earlier too, that God expects his people to support the work of those who provide for our spiritual needs. Those who are preaching and teaching, they deserve a double wage. Amen? So we give to the church. We also give to the lost, and that's supporting missions work, either local missions in your neighborhood or in your town or in your state or where you're living, your country, or maybe international missions. God wants us to give widely to the church, to the lost, and also to the poor. What if you gave one day's income to the poor every month? One-thirtieth of your income? Figure out how much you make in a month, divide it by 30, and give one of those Days of income to the poor, that's a good idea. It's not a law, but God wants us to give widely. 
to the local church, to the lost around our church, and to the poor. God wants us to give lovingly. Amen. I think this is the most important thing. Don't give money, but not yourself. God wants us to give lovingly. And love is self-sacrifice for the sake of another person. And he wants us to give lovingly. I've interacted with people who seem to feel like if they give me money, then they deserve praise and they've done their part. And they don't really give themselves. They give cash. So I encourage you, when you give your money, give yourself too. Pray for those that you're giving money to. Engage in the spiritual realm. I am so very thankful for people in my home country who support us financially and keep us in prayer and write to me. Yesterday, I got a message from a friend in the USA. I haven't heard from her in quite a while, and she said, we're praying for you. It's like, man, that's wonderful. Amen. So God wants us to give. Let me go back through this list again. How does he want us to give? Cheerfully, generously, secretly, proportionately, regularly, widely, and lovingly. Next time, we're going to look at Luke chapter 16, which I've heard it said could be labeled, you can't take it with you, and if you could, it would burn. (laughs) Or how to invest your money beyond the grave. That's Luke chapter 16. It's all about money from beginning to end. I encourage you to read Luke 16 and familiarize yourself with it before we come to it. Hopefully next week, I'll talk about Luke chapter 16, and I'll finish up the discussion about a biblical perspective on money. And until that next talk, I really encourage you to keep listening for the shepherd's voice. What is he saying? What is that living word that will be living and active and bear much fruit? Amen. So I pray that you will continue to hear his voice. You'll continue to walk with him and that he will give you much, much wisdom as you consider how you're to give according to the will of God. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.